All right, well, we will be continuing our sermon series in the gospel according to Luke. And this morning, we're going to be coming to a famous passage. It is called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, but that is in uh, Matthew's gospel. The Sermon on the Plain is in Luke's gospel, and the content is quite similar uh, in both sermons. Uh, Jesus is giving a new law or a new set of requirements that his people should be following in his kingdom. And both of these sermons, they, they open up with a section called the Beatitudes, where Jesus is saying which types of people are blessed and which types of people are not blessed. Now, this made me start to think, well, who would we say is blessed in our society here in America in 2021? If we were to think of a blessed person, who would come to our mind? Well, maybe you would think of somebody like Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world. If you're not familiar with how much money Jeff Bezos has, uh, they don't compare Jeff Bezos' net worth to other individuals. They compare his net worth to countries and groups of countries. So if you think of somebody who's blessed, maybe you would be thinking of somebody like Jeff Bezos. But maybe you'd be thinking of somebody like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I mean, what's not to like about The Rock? Look at that smile. He just lights up a room, and I know everybody in here wishes, well, all the men anyway, wishes they had biceps like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I mean, his movies are entertaining. Uh, Nobody can lay the smack down in the ring like The Rock. And if you open his Instagram account, he has 229 million followers on Instagram. If his Instagram followers decided to form their own country, it would be the fifth largest country in the world. So surely somebody like The Rock would be blessed. And if you're wondering, yes, I chose these two men on purpose because they are bald. So I wasn't discriminating against women. I was discriminating against people with hair. But this leads us to three more questions that we're going to look at this morning. The first question is, who does Jesus consider blessed? Would Jesus consider Dwayne and Jeff to be the blessed of this earth? Well, I don't know anything about the state of uh, Jeff's heart or Dwayne Johnson's heart, but from external appearances, Jesus paints a very different picture of who is blessed and who is not blessed. In this passage, Jesus lifts four different attributes of the blessed people, And he pairs those with four different attributes of those who are cursed. So let's take a look at these and see who does Jesus consider blessed. First, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, as Americans, we ought to be a little bit squeamish whenever we come across this. I don't think any of us have enough money to compare our our net worth to other countries like Jeff Bezos, but if you live in the United States, you have a certain amount of wealth that makes you in the top 10, 20% of the entire world. We are wealthy in this nation. So is Jesus pronouncing a curse upon us? Woe, the word woe is something to the effect of like, it's going to be really bad. It's going to be really horrible for this group of people. Jesus is saying it's going to be really bad for the rich. We're pretty rich. So is he condemning us? Well, some theologians would say yes. Some theologians would say that, yeah, rich people are bad because they are the ones who oppress the poor. 
There's a branch of theology called liberation theology that, that looks at this dynamic of how the rich have oppressed the poor and say, yeah, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is condemning all who have wealth. Well, there is some truth to liberation theology. If you remember how Jesus began his ministry in Luke, he opens up the book of Isaiah. Uh, he reads two verses, and then he preaches the shortest sermon of all time. He says, these verses are fulfilled in your hearing. And what were those verses about? Well, one of the verses said, uh, I have come to preach the good news to the poor. So Jesus has a very special place in his heart for poor people. But liberation theology breaks down when we get to chapter 19 in Luke. In chapter 19, Jesus goes all the way to a city called Jericho, and he goes to meet one individual. That man is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, we know that tax collectors are rich. So we know Matthew was a tax collector. He was wealthy. But as a chief tax collector, this was the boss of a tax collector, so that means he must have been even more wealthy than people like Matthew. I remember one time, probably five or six years ago, I was having dinner with my friend and my friend's aunt. Uh, my friend's aunt worked for a handbag company, and she was one of the executives in New York City. And just over a casual conversation at dinner, she slipped uh, what the salary was for one of her subordinates. And when she said the number of what this person made in a year, my mind began to hurt. I thought, wow, how can anybody make that much money selling handbags? But then I realized, wait a second, my friend's aunt is the boss of this person. So how much more money is she making than these people underneath her? Well, we don't know how much money Zacchaeus was making, but we know that Matthew underneath him was making a lot of money. So how much more money was Zacchaeus making? And Jesus went specifically to save this rich person. Jesus said, this person is a lost child of Abraham, and I have come to save him. But what's interesting is, what does Zacchaeus do immediately after he meets Jesus Christ? He gives away half of his money. Day one, he takes half of his money, and he completely gives it away. Zacchaeus realized it was better to be poor with Christ than rich with the world. Zacchaeus didn't want to be identified with his economic status. He didn't want people at the supermarket to hear the name Zacchaeus and think, oh, Zacchaeus, that is a wealthy guy. No, he wanted people to hear his name Zacchaeus and think, oh, Zacchaeus is a Christian. He didn't want to be identified with his financial situation. And Jesus says, it's blessed to be poor, not to be rich. Next, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, and woe to you who are full now. Now, this ought to make us squeamish again as Americans, because Americans are famous for food. And we're famous for inventing all kinds of food that should not be invented. I give you the KFC Double Down Sandwich, where they have taken away the bread that is usually on a sandwich and replaced it with fried chicken. Or if you don't like chicken, we also offer you the Double Baconator, with about a pound of bacon between a pound of beef. And you, if you, that's not enough cholesterol for you, you can get the Baconator cheese fries on the side. But as Americans, we don't have the same view of food as people in the Old Testament or people throughout the Bible. What was the very first sin in the Bible? You guys remember? It was Adam and Eve. And what did that sin involve? It involved food. Eating, 
You're right. So we usually think of Adam and Eve sinning as they did something uh, because they were puffed up with pride, right? The Bible says they wanted to think like God, they wanted to be like God. But the Orthodox Church takes a less spiritualized view. They would just say they were gluttons. They were hungry. They wanted to be satisfied in that moment. So they would rather be full than hungry. They would rather be disobedient and full than hungry and obedient. So this is something that we wrestle with our entire lives. It tells us in the third chapter of the Bible that we would rather be full now. But Jesus says, blessed are you who are hungry. Third, Jesus says, blessed blessed are you who are weeping now, but woe to you who are laughing now. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to stop laughing at our favorite knock-knock jokes or turn off the TV when Seinfeld comes on. This idea of laughing is more the idea of laughing at someone. Uh, Whenever that person that you don't like at work gets reprimanded by their boss and you have a smirk on your face, or when you're stalking your ex on Facebook and you realize, oh, they just went through a really bad breakup, and you have a smile on your face. Or whenever the star quarterback that gets all the attention and all the girls tears their ACL in a game, you kind of feel good about it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And we all do it, right? We all feel good when we see one of our enemies suffering. And this happens all throughout the Old Testament. We see a very clear picture of this in Psalm 137. In Psalm 137, the Babylonians have just come and they've destroyed the city of Jerusalem about 600 years before Christ uh, was born. And the Babylonians are taking away the Israelites. They have them in chains and they're marching them off into slavery. They, They take a break to rest. And you know what the Babylonians do to the Israelites? They say, oh, we want some entertainment. Why don't you sing for us your favorite song? Maybe sing us your national anthem. Sing us a city, a song about how great that city Jerusalem is. But they have just destroyed Jerusalem. The Babylonians were mocking the Israelites. But Jesus says it's better to be on the mocking side than on the laughing side right now. And finally, the last point. Jesus says, blessed are you who are hated, but woe to you who are well spoken of. Now, if you remember what Sam read, uh, in this last beatitude, Jesus kind of goes all out, doesn't he? He lists four different things. He says, blessed are you when you are hated, when you are excluded, when you are reviled, and when you are spurned, when people think of your name and they think evil. Well, we might not want to have 229 million followers on our social media, but all of us like to have friends, don't we? That's how God made us. He made us to be social creatures and to have interactions. So we don't like it when people ostracize us, when they they push us away. In the ancient Near East, one of the worst things that could happen to you would be getting uh, leprosy. If you got leprosy, you had to leave the city. And not just for 14 days like COVID. You had to leave the city for good. You had to walk away from your family, from your career, from everything that you knew. And this word that we translate here in the ESV as spurn is actually a compound word in the original Greek. Uh, the, The first word that it takes is the word out of or from, and the second word is to throw or to cast. So put it together, and that word is to throw out or to become an outcast. So the idea of what Jesus is saying here is whenever you are hated, like somebody who has leprosy, somebody with a hideous disease, and you are thrown out of society then 
you are blessed. To become an outcast in Jesus' kingdom is where you find your blessedness. Now, in some of the commentaries I read, people were saying that Jesus was giving this list as a way to provide comfort. And I think he's doing that in a way, but I don't really find this list particularly comforting. Do you? Do a a quick evaluation of, of your own heart. Blessed are you who are poor. Are you poor? Have you given away half of your income like Zacchaeus? Have you stopped identifying with your social status in life? Or the next one, blessed are you who are hungry now. Are you hungry? Have you suffered by trying to be obedient? Have you been so obedient to God's commands that you have been in physical pain as if you were hungry? Or the next one, blessed are you who are weeping now. Have you been laughed at by the world? Have you been scorned for your beliefs? Or the last one, blessed are you who are hated. Blessed are you who are cast out of society because you believe in Jesus Christ. If we're honest with ourselves, this isn't very comforting. When we read this, maybe we think, oh, these are eight different groups of people. You have the poor over here, you have the full over there, and you have those that are hated over here. But actually, it's just two groups of people. Either you're in the column for blessed, or you're in the problem in the column of the cursed. Maybe you feel like me, like you're torn between these two. Well, maybe I'm 25% over here, or that's 75% over here, or, or vice versa. But it's not either or. You're either in one column, or you're in the other. So if we're honest, none of us fall into that blessed column. None of us do. Which leads us to our next question. How can we be blessed? Because certainly we can't do it in our own works. And that's where we come to verse 22. All of these things make us blessed because of the Son of Man. The Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title when he referred to himself. He didn't call himself the Christ very often or the Messiah. He said, I am the Son of Man. Now, when we hear the title Son of Man, we usually identify it with Jesus' humanity, right? Jesus was a human being, and we think, oh, that's what's being talked about here. Jesus is the Son of Man. But actually, the Son of Man is a very rich theological title. Uh, We see it in the books of the law. We see it in the Psalms. It's all throughout the book of Ezekiel. But most famously, we find it in Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, Daniel has a vision. He looks down into the sea, and he sees these four hideous beasts coming up out of the sea. The first one looks like a lion. It's it's a lion with eagle's wings, but it has the mind of a man. And it just goes about destroying things. The next beast that comes out is this hideous bear with meat and bones hanging out of its mouth, and it's devouring flesh. The third beast is a leopard with, uh, yeah, a leopard with four heads and four wings. And it's just flying around destroying things. But the last beast is the worst of all. It's bigger than all the other beasts, and it has the words of a man. It has the mouth of a man, and it seduces people. Well, whenever Daniel sees all of these beasts coming out of the sea, he then turns his gaze, and he looks towards the heavens. In the heavens, he sees another character. He sees the Ancient of Days, God Almighty with his robe shining in brilliant white, his hair pure white. And the Ancient of Days is sitting in a throne, but not a throne made out of gold. This is a throne that is burning. It's fire. And all around him, thousands and thousands of people are worshiping the Ancient of Days. 
And as Daniel looks into heaven and sees the Ancient of Days, he hears a loud noise, and he gets distracted. He looks back down at the beasts, and he realizes that hideous beast, the last beast that was the worst of all, has been destroyed. It's been killed. It lays there dead. And who defeated this great big beast? It was the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is coming on the clouds to meet the Ancient of Days. But what happened during that loud noise? What happened whenever the Son of Man killed that beast? Well, the vision doesn't tell us. We don't know, but now that we have the Gospel of Luke, we can look back and we can understand what happened during that loud noise. And that is when the Son of Man became the blessed man. There's only one blessed person who has ever walked this earth. It's not you or I. It is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus Christ became poor so that we could become rich. Now, there's a couple different ways that we think about this. One, we realize that before any of the creation was instituted, that God existed in a trinity. That there was God the Father, there was God the Son, and there was God the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite theologians is Gregory of Nazianzus. And Gregory says that the Trinity existed like a perfect family. Imagine your family where there is no fighting, where there is no need, you have all the resources you want, and you just get along and you are happy and content. That's what Jesus was enjoying in heaven. He had all the riches that anyone could ever imagine, but he left heaven and he came down, he became a human being to rescue us so that we could have his riches and glory. But there's another way that people look at this passage from 2 Corinthians. Uh, we typically think of Jesus as coming from a poor family. There's some evidence to suggest that his family was poor. But one of uh, some scholars, like Rodney Stark from Baylor University, says there's also evidence to suggest that Jesus was wealthy. You know, his family did a lot of traveling, right? They went down to Egypt, which wouldn't have been cheap. They went to Bethlehem. They went to Nazareth. They would go to Jerusalem uh, for regular sacrifices and temple visits, which is something that poor people just couldn't do. And whenever Jesus goes off and begins his ministry that his parents probably paid for his education, well, he goes off to his ministry to minister to the poor and, and those who are sick. And what do his parents think about him? They think he's crazy. His brothers and sisters try to go and bring him back. Well, if you take this view, you realize that Jesus Christ left his worldly riches as opposed to his heavenly riches so that we could become rich with Christ. So Jesus is the blessed man because he became poor for us. Now think about Jesus becoming hungry. After he was baptized, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. He did not eat and he did not drink. In the same way Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, Satan comes now again to tempt Jesus Christ. And what does he tempt Jesus with first? That old thing that we never think about, food. He comes to him and says, if you are the son of man, you, you must be starving. Why don't you just turn these rocks into bread? Does Jesus do it? Does he give in? No, he chose to be obedient and he chose to be hungry. And he became the blessed man. That's why he has become the bread of life. That's why we can feed upon him and have our life. Because Jesus was willing to be hungry, and now we feed upon him. And whenever we think about Jesus weeping, Isaiah says that Jesus is the man of sorrows, that he was acquainted with grief. Jesus knows what it's like to watch a loved one go into a tomb because they've died. 
He knows what it's like to be mocked, to be laughed at, to have people scorn you. But we have a saying in English. We say, those who laugh last laugh the the loudest or the hardest or the best. Those who laugh last laugh the loudest. In Psalm 1, there's a verse about the wicked being scornful. The wicked are laughing at the righteous in Psalm 1. But if you keep reading, eventually you come to Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, verse 4, somebody else is laughing. Do you know who it is? It's God. In the heavens, God is laughing at the wicked. And right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven, and he is laughing at the wicked who make their plans against him. And finally, Jesus is the blessed man because he was hated. Now, remember I said that if you had leprosy, you were cast outside of the city. Well, Jesus did not have leprosy, but there was something else that they would take outside the city. And that would be the sacrifice, to burn the sacrifice. Uh, Whenever they would make a sacrifice, they would take all the blood out of an animal, and then they would take it into the temple and sprinkle the holy place. But Hebrews tells us that whenever that body was done, all the blood was out of it, well, they would take that body outside the city and they would burn it. And the author of Hebrews tells us that in the same way, Jesus had to go outside the city. He became an outcast and he had to go be sacrificed and die outside of society. In the same way, we go outside the city to meet Christ. And the church, we're not supposed to be completely in society. They're always going to think we're weird. Right? Because we are the outcast of this world. But Jesus was the outcast so that we could be the blessed one. Well, Daniel's vision continues with the Son of Man. Right? So this Son of Man, the one that we know to be Jesus Christ, the blessed man, comes before the Ancient of Days in heaven. And this blessed man, Jesus Christ, receives a kingdom. It's a kingdom made up of thousands of people, of people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. But as the vision continues, something quite interesting happens. There's another group of people that appear, and that's the saints of the Most High. The saints of the Most High are the Christians, you and I, and the saints go out and they have to do battle against the other three beasts that are still alive. Now, these saints go through all sorts of suffering here on earth, but what happens after their suffering? Well, it says that they are given the kingdom as well. So, Who gets the kingdom? Does the Son of Man get the kingdom? Or do the saints of the Most High get the kingdom? Well, the vision goes back and forth. It's the Son of Man's kingdom. It's the saints' kingdom. And there's actually a part that's very difficult for translators to write. Is it the saints' kingdom or is it the Son of Man's kingdom? They don't really know. But how can this be? How can you have two presidents over one country? Or how can you have one kingdom with many different kings ruling in it? Surely there can only be one ruler of a kingdom, right? Well, to help us figure out this dilemma, we can look to somebody in church history. This is Origen. I don't know if you've ever heard of Origen. He's not the most popular of church uh, theologians, and he's not the most loved, but I I do love uh, Origen. He's from uh, the 3rd century from Alexandria in Egypt, and he provides a helpful illustration with iron and fire. So imagine that you have a bar of iron. Uh, How would it feel in your hand? Well, it would be hard and heavy and probably cool to the touch, right? But if you take that iron and you put it in the fire, 
the iron is going to be, get, be getting hotter and hotter and hotter. It might even become soft and malleable, or it might even melt and turn into liquid. And if you were to take a hot iron out of the fire, nobody in their right mind would grab it, right? It's the same iron that was cool a little bit ago. Now it has become hot. Well, after a while, if you were just looking at this, you wouldn't really be able to distinguish which was the fire and which was the iron, right? All the properties, all the heat, all the intensity from the fire would be transferred over to the iron. In the same way, Origen tells us that Jesus Christ is like that fire, and we are like the iron. The more fellowship we have with Jesus Christ, the more we become like Jesus Christ. The longer we are in that relationship with Christ, the more we're going to become like Jesus Christ. The more that we stop identifying with our financial success, with our worldly riches, the more that we walk away from that and choose a life of poverty with Jesus Christ, we're turning in to Jesus Christ. The more that we decide, you know what, I'm not going to give in to the fleshly appetites of this world, but instead I'm going to choose to be hungry and to be obedient while you're becoming like the fire. You're becoming like Jesus Christ. And the more you decide, you know what, I'm not going to make fun of other people. I'm going to be made fun of for the sake of Christ while you're becoming like Jesus Christ. And as you do that, you are inheriting the kingdom along with Jesus Christ. It is not just his kingdom. He invites us to share with him. I don't exactly know how it works, but obviously he's going to be the king on top. But the same way that the heat transfers from the fire to the iron, his authority, his goodness is going to be transferred to us. And that's something that just doesn't take place in this life. Maybe you are a Christian for 80 years, 90 years, or 100 years, and you grow hotter and hotter. You become more and more like Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. You're going to go to heaven, and you're going to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. And guess what? You're going to be in the fire with Christ, and you're just going to keep becoming more and more like him for an eternity. And he's an eternal being. You're never going to reach that final destination, but you're always going to become closer and closer to him. You're always going to be getting more and more of his kingdom blessings. So we're blessed not because we're anything special. We're blessed because the Son of Man is special. He is the one that fulfilled all of these requirements, and he freely gives it to us. So, church, we are the blessed people of God, which leads us to our final question. How should the blessed respond? Well, in our verse, Jesus gives us one simple command. He says, I want you to rejoice, and I want you to leap for joy. I particularly like this word choice of leap for joy. I was an elementary school teacher for seven years. I taught uh, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and sixth grade. No fifth grade for some reason. And one of my favorite classes to teach is first grade. The reason that I like first grade is because the kids, they're, they're naive. They don't know how bad they're going to have it for the next 11 years of their life in school, and they still get excited about everything. So you announce to the class, we're going to have a 15-minute recess. The kids all leap for joy. You announce to them that you're going to be making a car out of a paper cup, and the kids just erupt with joy and start jumping up and down. Now, I like working with adults as well, but I've never had any of you stand up and leap for joy in one of my sermons like a first grader. 
I don't know if that's a testament to, to my preaching or a testament to your joints. I'm not entirely sure. But what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is actually commanding us to become like those innocent children that rejoice when we have something exciting. We have Jesus Christ. We're in the fire with Christ becoming like him. He has given us his kingdom, and we're supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to leap for joy. Another reason I like this idea of leaping for joy is this is a word that's pretty unique to Luke. Do you remember earlier in Luke's gospel, whenever the Virgin Mary is pregnant with Jesus Christ, and she goes and she visits her cousin, uh, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Do you remember what John the Baptist does in the womb? He leaps for joy. Same word, which means leaps for joy. John the Baptist leapt, or he leapt for joy in the womb. The same thing we are commanded to do. We are commanded to leap like John the Baptist in the womb, because we have the Son of Man. We have Jesus Christ. And there's really no other reason that we need to rejoice, besides that we have Jesus Christ. But the text gives us two more reasons to rejoice. We ought to be rejoicing and leaping for joy, because we have a great inheritance. In verse 23, it uses the, reward, the, the word, uh, your reward is great in heaven. Now, whenever I think of a reward, what comes to mind is something like a wanted poster. If we go and we catch this criminal, we'll get $1,000 or $10,000. Or maybe somebody has a lost dog, so they make a little flyer, and they say, if you find Barkus, contact me, and I'll give you $100 as a reward. Well, so we usually think of money as a reward, right? At least I do. And the Bible does use some language about us having riches in heaven. It talks about there being mansions. It talks about there being streets of gold, and we're going to get crowns that we wear. But it's not only about rewards, not only about physical possessions. There's other types of rewards that we're going to be getting in heaven. Uh, in the famous book, how to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie tells us how to win friends and influence people. And one of the chapters that he has has a great title. I, I've never forgotten. I don't remember much from the book, but I do remember this. The title of this chapter says, Be hearty in your, approbation, in your uh, approbations and lavish in your praise. All of us like a good compliment, right? And what is Dale Carnegie telling us? He's telling us if you want people to like you, Give them praise. Don't hold back. Load it on. Praise them, and they're going to respond well. Another trick, if you ever find yourself in a first-grade classroom and half the class is going bonkers and the other half of the class is sitting properly, and you want to control the classroom, praise those who are sitting well. Don't, don't try to get the monkeys to sit down. Start praising the ones that are already behaving well, and all the other monkeys, they say, oh, I want to be praised, and they go sit down, and you can give them that praise. That's another trick that doesn't work on sixth graders, only on first graders. <laughs> but if you're honest with yourself, you like a good compliment. Nice shoes, nice haircut, nice new car. All of those things make us feel good. Mark Twain said that he could survive two months on a good compliment. That's all he needed was a good compliment. Well, God designed us that way to appreciate a good compliment. And whenever we get to heaven, guess what? There's going to be plenty of complimenting going on. There's going to be plenty of praising going on. And it's not just us to God. God is going to be praising us. The prophet Zephaniah says that when God sees us, he's going to be singing 
praises and singing joys over us. In 1 Peter, it says that whenever we finally go through all of these sufferings in this life, when we finally endure and we meet Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to be rejoicing. He's going to be praising us and singing over us. Why? Because the more we're in that fire with Jesus Christ, the more we become changed. The more we're like the Holy Spirit, the more we're like Jesus Christ, and then we will be transferred into that harmonious Trinitarian family. We will be added to that great, joyous family, which is full of praise. And that's what we're looking forward to as our great inheritance. The praise of God Almighty. And last point, we should be rejoicing and leaping for joy because we have a great heritage. The final woe that Jesus delivers is to those who are well spoken of by everyone. Uh, One of the commentaries I read said, the only way you can be well spoken of by everyone is if you are a hypocrite. If I want to hang out with friends that like the Los Angeles Lakers, and I want, which I would never do, but if I wanted to, and I wanted them to like me, I would pretend to like the Los Angeles Lakers. And then if the next day I'm hanging out with my friends that are Boston Celtics fans, I would need to be a Boston Celtics fan. That's the only way that I could have everybody speaking well of me. I would have to be a hypocrite. Well, Jesus is telling you, at some point you have to put down your foot. At some point you have to be willing to walk away from riches. At some point you have to be willing to let people talk bad about you because you're a Christian. But Jesus says, when this happens, take heart. You were a part of a great heritage. Yeah, you might be alone right now in the world, but when you get to the church triumphant in heaven, you're not going to be alone anymore. You're going to be celebrating and fellowshipping with all of the great prophets from the Old Testament that endured hunger, like Moses, who didn't eat for 40 days in the wilderness. That's who you are identifying with. That is your heritage. Or you're going to be going through with the other famous people in the Old Testament that suffered, like Job, who lost all of his wealth, who was rich and became poor. You are a prophet just like Job when you give up your worldly riches. And the same goes for all the other ones. David, he was outcast. He was chased by Saul. People wanted to kill him, but he wrote the whole, almost the whole book of the Psalms. Right? So as you go through these difficulties, that is who you are identifying with. You have a great heritage. John the Baptist was another one. John the Baptist leaped for joy in the womb, but he was ultimately beheaded. Some of the prophets end up doing great things. Some of them go and they they tear down kingdoms that are unjust. They go and they stop the mouths of lions. But other prophets, they go through the exact opposite. They're eaten by lions or they're beheaded by unjust rulers. But for us to be beheaded, to be eaten by lions, to become poor, to choose all of these things that Christ says are blessed, Why, that is where we come to find our true significance, our true identity in Jesus Christ. If you want to be like Christ, if you want to be blessed, if you want to inherit that kingdom, you must be with Jesus Christ in the fire of Jesus Christ. Church, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all of the blessings and all of the great things that you have given us. We realize that we are only blessed through what the Son of Man has done, not through our own works. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out the spirit of that blessed man. I pray that you would pour out the Holy Spirit upon us. Change our hearts, Lord.
This country needs you. They need people with new hearts that are not scared to become poor. They're not scared to be hungry for the sake of obedience. They're not scared to endure shame and, and to be mocked or laughed at or to be outcast from society. We pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see the true reality that when we endure these things, while we are with Jesus Christ in the fire, we are becoming like him and we, in, we are inheriting our great reward. I pray that you'll bless us as we go about our week. May we remember these truths of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.